Amen. Matthew chapter number 13 is where we'll be tonight. I appreciate your preaching. It's been a blessing. Amen. I like this church. I feel at home at this church. I told my wife the first time I came to Alaska when I came home, I said if I'd have went up there when I was 20 years old, I'd have never come back. And I guess the Lord kept me from that. I guess He wanted me in Indiana. A little late in the game probably to change horses now, but uh, I do appreciate all of uh, that I've experienced here this feels like home to me and Cheryl, your church, the spirit of your church. And uh, isn't it amazing? You can get on a plane, go anywhere in the world to walk in. Uh, and if there's a gathering of God's people, then there's a kindred spirit that just automatically comes with that. And uh, what, they, what they used to sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. And it is a wonderful thing just to be able to look around somebody you've never met before and since since the bearing witness of the Spirit, be able to call that man brother is just an amazing thing. The world tries to reproduce that in all kinds of different ways, and they just can't pull off what the church has been blessed and gifted to have because of what Jesus Christ did for each and every one of us. We felt so spoiled this week, and I know I said thank you, but I just feel like I need to say it again. Preacher, thank you, and Mrs., thank you so much for just being such a blessing to me and my wife, and uh, we have really just uh, had a wonderful getaway. Spend some time, we very busy, we had an extensive trip planned for 2020, every five years we try to do something extra special for our anniversary, well our 35th fell on 2020, that didn't go well, okay, all the plans went out the window along with everybody's plans, amen, and uh, so we thought, well we'll make it up next year, we'll make it up next year. And nothing came together. And then I get a call from your preacher. And he says, do you have a Sunday? I, I, I want to bring you up on a Sunday this summer. And my first thought, brother, was I'm thinking of my calendar going, there is nothing, nothing left that I can give this year. And all of a sudden, while I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, I saved the week of my anniversary. And so I told him what the deal was. I said, well, there's one Sunday because I'd saved this week because me and Cheryl really hadn't planned a trip. You know, maybe, you know, go to the backyard drink lemonade, I don't know, called DoorDash, as if that existed in Jasonville, Indiana, and, uh, and, and do something, but then all of a sudden for this, uh, to uh, your invitation to change those plans, and I walked in the kitchen and said, uh, hey, I got an anniversary trip planned. I didn't think we were going anywhere. I said, we're going to Alaska. He said, we can't afford to go to Alaska, and I said, well, we can now. <laughs> And so that's because of y'all and your generosity, and I really mean that. So, amen. I appreciate it so much. Matthew chapter 13, we'll look at one verse. And if you're familiar with chapter number 13, there's a series of parables uh, found in here. We call them the kingdom of heaven parables. This entire parable is contained in one verse, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And since it's just one verse, we'll read it slowly. We'll read it twice. I want you to imagine it. I want you to picture it. One of the best pieces of advice I was ever given by a man was don't just read black words on white paper when you're reading the Bible. You know what? Ask the Holy Spirit to activate your imagination. Try to put yourself in the situation to see what was happening. So if you'll join me in doing that, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, again, again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field. The which... When a man hath found, here's a little two-word phrase, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Let's, let's try it again. Again, 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, look at this, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and by it that field. Heavenly Father, open our understanding, Lord, please. We invite you, we need you, we want you. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And Lord, if, if we don't have you tonight, we're going to leave with nothing. So please, this pastor's dependency is upon you. Lord, we need you. So speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Kingdom of heaven. What does that mean, preacher? These kingdom of heaven parables... Well, there's the kingdom of earth and there's the kingdom of heaven. God rules in the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to be there one of these days, by the way. From what I read, it's a lot better place than where we are right now. But a lot of times, what we get, if we're not careful, we begin to view life from a kingdom of earth perspective. Now, what does that mean? That means Jerry Ross, too many times find myself, I find myself too earthbound. And so I'm watching situations, and I'm seeing them from an earthly standpoint. I begin to view situations, circumstances, what's going on in our country from an earthly viewpoint. I even begin sometimes view people from an earthly viewpoint. And God, every once in a while, says, hey, you need to come back up here beside me. Because the kingdom of heaven perspective is different than a kingdom of earth perspective. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. When this crazy thing happened in 2020 and man alive, young preachers were calling us older preachers saying, we've never been through anything like this. What do we do? And you know what we were telling them? We haven't been through anything like this. If you figure it out, call me back. Amen. And I remember being so frustrated because everything I knew about ministry and pastoring all of a sudden didn't matter. I can literally remember at some point about a week and a half, two weeks in, we would have our governor give mandates, and so we would come up with a new plan of action. And then two days later, he would completely change the rules and move the goalposts, and then we'd come up with another one. And it was, it was so crazy because even though I had longevity in ministry, I'd never faced this. I remember literally sitting with my hands, my head in my hands at my desk saying, Lord, I don't even know how to pastor anymore. Almost in despair, not knowing how to pastor, not really knowing how to help my people. And I was so earthbound that I was watching everything from my perspective. And I remember as I began to go to prayer in my office, it was like the Lord lifted me up. And He brought me beside Himself and He let me see what was going on, not from an earthly standpoint, but from a heavenly standpoint. And when I went down on my knees, I thought everything was falling apart. But once I got up from my knees, I realized everything was just falling in place. And folks, you know what? That's kind of a good illustration about the difference from, you know what? Having a too much Fox News, come on, viewpoint of life and not enough King James Holy Bible viewpoint of life. We can all get into that trap. Well, the Lord's going to take something that is earthly. And this is what he does in these parables. He said, I'm going to take an earthly story that you can relate to, but I'm going to bring you up beside me, and I'm going to give you a new perspective on something that you've only seen from an earth view. I want to give you a kingdom of heaven perspective on these things. And so, the parable's short. It's not complicated, so let's run through it. Let's break it down. Number one, a man discovers a, a hid treasure in a field. By the way, this field does not belong to him. We can find that out, figure that out by the context. Well, what was he doing in the field? Well, I was raised in 
in the country, rural America, southern Indiana. I can tell you growing up that property boundaries didn't mean a whole lot to me. If I wanted to go visit a buddy, and, you know, I didn't go down the road all the way and down the road. We just cut across the fields. I mean, come on. A country boy thinks the whole world belongs to him. And a barbed wire fence was just something to get down on your belly and skimmy underneath and keep going, you know. So I don't know what he was in, why he was in the field, but he was in this field. And while he's in the field that does not belong to him, he discovers a hid treasure. Then we see that little two-word phrase, he hideth. What does that mean? It means that he keeps his discovery a secret. Whatever he uncovered, he covered back. What it really means is this. I'm not telling anybody what I found. He was determined to keep it a secret. And so he begins to think that, you know what, the only way that I can properly and rightfully attain the treasure that's in the field is I need to buy this field. So, even though this isn't mentioned, again, we could tell by the context that he went to the owner, found the owner, and, by the way, found out two things. Number one, he was willing to sell it. Number two, he put a price on it. So he negotiates the price of the field. And then as he's going home, he begins to calculate in his mind what it would take in order to be able to buy that field. Can I afford that field? And I believe he thought about every piece of property and he thought about all of his bank accounts and he thought about all of his possessions and he figured out, yes, I can pull it off, but I'm going to have to sell everything that I have. Now, folks, imagine him going through that process. I see him walking up to the door of the man who owns the property with every bit of treasure that he owns. All of his worldly wealth is in his hands. He has nothing but the clothes on his back. But the Bible says he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it joyfully. Because you see, he believes that if he can buy the field and secure the treasure, he enriches himself beyond anything that he had possessed prior to that. So here's the story of a man who saw something of great value and decided he was willing to sell everything in order to secure the treasure. Now please listen, because this is going to be the truth that we're going to draw from. The only way to get the treasure was to buy the field. The treasure was hid in the field. The treasure was connected to the field. The treasure came with the field and the field came with the treasure. If he was going to possess the treasure, then he had to be willing to buy the field. Now, I'm not an expert on much, but I am an expert on fields. Again, I'm a country boy. Let me tell you about the field he was in. There were weeds in that field. There were mice in that field. There were nettles in that field. There were thorns in that field. We call them at home cockleburs. There were cockleburs in, in that field. There was, I, I know this for sure. There was dirt in that field, and when it rained, there was mud in that field. <laughs> Think about that. There were ants in that field. I've never seen one, but I, I've seen what they can do. There were chiggers in that field. There might have been a skunk or two living in that field. There may have been a snakes, some ground squirrels uh, digging into the field, holes in the field, spiders and spider webs. And the man knew these things were in the field because he'd been in that field. But all of these things were forgotten. Listen, please. When he focused on the treasure he had discovered in that field. You see, to him the treasure was of such great value that he was willing to buy the weeds to get the treasure. He's willing to put up with the nettles and the thorns and the cockleburs to get the treasure. The dirt, mud, it's worth it. 
It's worth it because I'm going to get the treasure. The ants, the mice, the chiggers, the occasional skunk was worth the treasure. Walking through a spider web or two on the way to claim what he had purchased was well with it. It was a small price to pay because he saw the treasure in that field. Now let's take the, the uh, primary application. Uh, folks, again, I, I hit on this again this morning, but I, I don't want to ever get over what Jesus did on the cross for me. And I hope that you've never gotten over it. I, I don't mean this wrong, and I don't want to judge hearts, but I just run into too many Christians. I feel like they just have gotten over what Jesus has done. And, and we need to revisit that. God saw our sin, but He also saw our souls. And here's the thing that I, I'll never wrap my mind around. He considered the cost of what it would take to buy back my eternal soul, your eternal soul. And you know what he said? He said, mankind is worth it. Now, I don't view me that as worth that. I, I, don't, I know me too well. What would God see in me that was worth sending his son, the greatest price that was ever paid for anything? What would he see in me? But you know what? The Bible says, for God so loved the world. And he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So God paid the greatest price ever paid for anything that had ever been purchased to buy back the souls of lost men. And by the way, everyone wants good for us to be reminded of what that price was. And Jesus had to come alongside the Father and be in agreement in this. Jesus said, if I'm going to get the treasure of man's souls, of, of the souls of mankind, I have to be born into a sinful world. I have to be birthed in a stable and be laid in a manger and I will, I will be raised in a poor family. I'll be misunderstood. But you know what? If that's what it costs to get the treasure, I'll pay the price. I'll be betrayed. I'll be denied. I'll be arrested. I'll be falsely accused. I'll have, have to experience sorrow and rejection and hatred and mockery and wear a purple robe and a crown of thorns and have my beard plucked out by its roots. I'll be beaten and whipped and condemned and sentenced to death. I'll have to walk up Golgotha's hill. But you know what? It's worth it. If that's the field that comes with the treasure and that's the cost, then you know what? I'll just, I'll just pay the cost. Three rusty nails. Come on, cursed. Spit upon. Shamed. He'll look down at his feet and watch his mother's heart break. And then he'll look up in heaven and watch his father turn his back on him. But he said, you know what? If that's what it takes, then it's worth the treasure. I'll have to become that unblemished sacrifice. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to become sin, the thing that I hate the most. I have to watch my father turn his back on me. I have to endure the punishment that comes with forever pain for the sins of all mankind. I have to cry out from Calvary, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I'll have to die. I have to lay for three days and three nights in a borrowed tomb. But you know what Jesus said? Aren't you glad he said this, folks? I want the treasure. <laughs> I want the souls of mankind. I'll pay the price knowing that some will reject it. You know, he did that. He paid it knowing some would reject it. But not only that, someone will despise it and some will mock it and call it a fairy tale. But wait a minute, a few won't. And a few will accept it. And because of that, I will pay the price of the sins of all mankind. God was willing to buy the field to get the treasure. And he saw my soul and considered it a treasure. And he saw your soul and... Considers it, considered it a treasure. Paid the greatest price ever paid for anything. Folks, listen to me. I mentioned it this morning, but God didn't need us. 
Come on, by definition of his title, he is the all-sufficient one. He was fine before we were here, and he'd be fine if we all went away. So if he didn't need us, the only conclusion I can come up with is that he wanted us. And I just can't get over that. I can't get over that. But you know what? When he got Jerry Ross, he may have got what he considered the treasure of my soul. But he also got a field. The field came with it. What came with saving Jerry Ross? Well, what came with the salvation of my soul? What else did he get? He got my failings. Come on, he got too often my faithlessness. He got my fallings. He got my Adamic nature. He got my inconsistencies and my sinfulness and my stumbling. And can I just say this sadly? Sadly, too often, my stubbornness. But he wanted me despite my imperfections. And he said, if that comes with the treasure, then it comes with the treasure. And you know what? God paid the ultimate price because he wanted the treasure. And here's the message. Even though he knew it came with a field. Now, this is where we hope that God reaches down and takes all of us this evening and brings him up beside him. Because it's good to see that God loved us that much and that he viewed us of that great worth. But I think the real value in this parable might be the fact that he can now lift us up to give us a kingdom of heaven attitude. And a kingdom of heaven view of people around us. Hey, if God saw that in you, maybe God wants you to see that in other people. As Christians, we need to see people the way God sees people. Let's get a kingdom of heaven view of people instead of a kingdom of earth view of people. Number one, let me, let me cover this first. Let's see the treasure of lost souls and be willing to buy the field. The treasure of lost souls and be willing to buy the field. When people hear that my father pastored 41 years, I mentioned this morning, they assume I was born into a Christian home and I was not. They're Purcells. Uh, I've mentioned that story this morning and their involvement bringing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But my dad moved from Greencastle, Indiana to Brazil, Indiana. And across the street were born-again Christians. And you know what? They looked across the street. Let me just say this. I need to say it out loud and publicly. I'm so glad that Jerry and Ruth Purcell had a kingdom of heaven viewpoint when they looked across the street at the Ross family. You see, folks, we were unchurched. Mom and dad wasn't raised in church. You know what? It was 1966, and you know what they were? They were what the world produced in 1966. And by the way, they may have seen the treasure, but you know what? Next-door neighbors can see the field along with the treasure, okay? If they watched very long, they would watch my dad walk out the front door of the house and go to work on something and pull a pack of cigarettes out of his pocket and stick it in his mouth and light a cigarette. You know what, if they watched in the backyard, and you can see our backyard from where they live, see mom hanging clothes on the clothesline back there and a cigarette dangling from her mouth. Are we okay so far? By the way, mom didn't always dress the way the Word of God teaches the lady that they ought to dress. Sometimes she was dressed immodestly. And they watched us four kids running around. Come on. I mean, the terrorist of the, the new four terrorists of the neighborhood... And you know what, folks, listen to me. If, if Jerry Purcell got in a conversation with my dad, it wouldn't be very long before he'd hear my dad say something that Christians ought not to say. Can I, can I explain all that to you? Well, why, were the, why would they do those things? Because they were lost. They were lost. I just worry that sometimes Christians have become field inspectors. We're so turned off by the field that we've stopped realizing that there's a treasure in that field. 
And you're either going to look at the field and want to walk away and say, well, they can't be helped, or you're going to look at the treasure, you're going to see things from God's perspective and say, you know what, there's a treasure there that, that's in that field. And they kept coming by and coming by and coming by, inviting us and inviting us. And I talked about the day that my mom slammed the door in Jerry Purcell's face. And he came up with a new strategy, and he thought it was a good idea. My mom didn't. But he came over and knocked on the door, and mom and dad was at the door, and us kids are always, you know, I wanted to go every time he came. I wanted to sneak up behind dad to hear my dad's new excuse why we couldn't come to church, you know. I, I sometimes wonder, did my dad have a book somewhere, the, the excuses, okay, the excuses, excuses why not to come to church, because he was very inventive in what he came up with. And uh, he, came, he came to the door, and he said, hey, Bob and Donna, I know y'all don't attend church, but we were thinking, you know, Maybe on next Sunday morning we could pick up the kids and bring them to church. Now, I don't know why that hit my mom sideways, but it did. That did not settle well with my mom. And all of a sudden she bowed up and she said, let me tell you something, mister. Anybody takes my kids to church, it's going to be me takes my kids to church. I don't need some neighbor to come over and pick my kids up. If they're going to be in church, we'll bring them to church. And she slammed the door in, in his face. And dad's sitting there and I'm sitting there and I'm like, Wow. And my dad's like, after she settled down, you said, take my kids to church. Ain't nobody going to take my kids to church. If they're going to church, I'll tell you, well, we'll take them to church. And my dad's like, are you listening to yourself? You know what you just told him? Well, guess where we went two weeks later? We followed the Purcells to church. You know, <laughs> she talked herself into a quarter. And you know what, folks, listen to me. When we walked into the Rock Run Baptist Church, please look up here. Let's open our hearts, okay? We walked into... Rock Run Baptist Church in 1966, the Ross family didn't look churchy. We all right? You know why? We were lost. We didn't talk churchy. We didn't act churchy. But you know what? I want to thank God for Pastor Elmer Evans that just loved us where we were. And you know what? I want to thank Jerry and Ruth Purcell for inviting us and inviting us and keeping my mom and dad in church. And by the way, like I told you this morning, it didn't all happen in the first service. I mean, they started from zero and had to learn a lot of things. But you know what? There's something about just sitting under the preaching of the Word of God. Folks, listen to me. Trust, trust the preaching of the Word of God and trust the ministry of the Holy Spirit of God. You don't need to fix them in the foyer. Just get them here and love them. And let the Bible do its work. And you know what is the result of that church being patient with us? You know what? I got to thinking, and I can't ask Pastor Evans. He's in heaven now, but I hope this wasn't true. I don't think it was. I hope no member of the church came to him in the first several weeks when we started becoming regulars, you know, and saying, you know, preacher, this, this Ross family, you know, you know, I, I, are you sure that they're kind of a... Fit for us? I mean, you know, is that really the kind of family we're looking for? Come on, let's just let a little conviction sweep across, okay? I mean, folks, what are we going to spend the rest of our lives doing? Are we going to win the world of Jesus Christ or are we not? Have you noticed? The world's a mess. They're a lot more of a mess than they were in 1966. But they still respond to the, still respond to the same love and the same patience exercised by God's people. Now, let me say this. You know what? Let's go out and reach the world. Come on, let's reach the world. Sometimes I just wonder, are we going to spend the rest of the time before Jesus comes back just 
trading church members with other churches like people trade baseball cards? Or are we going to realize the job is to go out and bring in the Bob and Donna Rosses of the world, of the world, and get them into the church house and love them and accept them the way they are? I mean, to let those Christian kids actually go over and learn the names of those non-Christian kids and befriend them and make them feel welcome so that we can see them come to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, I'm not talking about dropping our standards. That's not the way to reach people. We needed as a family to walk into a church and see people that were different than us. We needed that. I'm not talking about anybody dropping their standards. In fact, if you've fallen for that lie, and some have, many churches have fallen for that, that you have to become like the world to reach the world. Well, if, you have, if you've become like the world in order to try to reach the world, you're not reaching the world. The world reached you. Okay, so let's throw that garbage out. I'm talking about having the same standards and the same convictions and the same strong beliefs and the same separatist stands. But can we also get a kingdom of heaven viewpoint of lost people once again? Can we just realize that if it wasn't by the grace of God, there go I, there goes my family, there goes my kids. Could we just say, God, help me to see the treasure. Overlook the field. The Word of God will fix all of that in its time. Help me to stop looking at the field and see the treasure of that person being in our church. So let's see the treasure of lost souls and be willing to buy the field. Number two, let's see the treasure of a Christian family and be willing to buy the field. Brother, there's a word that's popping up way too much, and I'm not throwing rocks at this church. It's in every church. It's been in my church. But, I mean, I'm talking about Christian couples. I'm not talking about fringe people. I'm talking about faithful people. I'm talking about Sunday school teachers that I've had and and people that work ministries, and all of a sudden... You know what? The word comes, and, and I always seem like I'm as a pastor the last to hear these things. But remember, me and my wife a few years ago went on vacation. We walked in the door and back, and we kind of really disconnected. And our people are really, i got to say, they're really pretty good about just when we're gone, leaving us alone to the point where it makes me a little nervous. That, you know, does anybody need us? You know, but I, I think they really just try to let us. So we walk in the door, and there's somebody waiting inside the door and said, I don't want you to be blindsided, but... This was on a Wednesday night. The day before on a Tuesday in the local paper, there was a couple, faithful couple in my church that came out in the paper that she had filed for divorce on her husband. That's, that's the D word I'm talking about. And you think to yourself, and by the way, if you just, Brother McGovern, if you just, at that moment, give me a piece of paper and say, you get ten guesses on which couple it is, I would not have written their name down in the first ten guesses in my church. And I thought to myself, what am I missing? How did I miss this? Listen, folks, we can all put on a, you know, a smile when we walk in the door and keep hidden that there's some real problems beneath the surface. And I think to myself, I'm tired of the devil doing this. I'm tired of the devil winning in this area. So I think what we maybe need to do as men, let's talk to the men first, is that maybe we need to go back to when we first met that lady. And let me tell you something, when you first met her, and you start realizing, man alive, this could be the one, you know what you saw? Treasure, 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 treasure. That's what you saw. And by the way, come on, you were willing, at great expense, to purchase whatever you needed to purchase 
to secure that treasure, man. I remember for about a three-week period while I'm in Bible college taking on an extra job pumping gas and on weekends working a security job, staying awake all night, guarding the McCormick Place in downtown Chicago, guarding locked doors, which I thought was interesting, that was chained in padlock, and listening to the same loop of music over and over, and i got to stop or I'm going to start singing them, the songs right now. And, and you know what? I hardly slept for three weeks, but I needed the money for that engagement ring. And you know what? I was going to give everything, whatever it took, whatever it took. And that's what we saw. We saw treasure, treasure. Us guys, we, ladies, you remember the, remember the first time you saw him? Come on, what'd you see? You saw a field that you just prayed to God there might be a treasure in. That's some of you ladies start laughing before I even say that. That is not what you saw. Well, maybe it was. I guess we've got to be honest if we're going to fix stuff. But No, you know what we saw? Treasure, 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 treasure. And then you know what? You go through the dating and courtship and you go through the engagement period and you count the days down and you're getting married and, and then the day finally comes. Thank God the rapture didn't happen before the day came. And... and uh, you know, there, there's one group that will not get that crown that loves his appearing. It's engaged people, okay? They're not going to get that crown. And, uh, and then, you know what? You went on the honeymoon. Woo! And you come back to that first little apartment or house or whatever. And, and you know what? I remember the first time that we kind of got settled in and I needed to find the ketchup. I had some, some food. I needed ketchup. So I go to the cupboard and I open the cupboard. To get the ketchup, because you know where you put the ketchup? You put it in the cupboard. That's where sane, normal people would put the ketchup in, in the cupboard. And I say, Did, you know, I know we just bought a bottle of that, a big bottle of it. I thought, man, does this woman drink ketchup? I mean, what has she done with the ketchup, you know? You're, you're still learning each other, but you're being careful. So, honey, yes, dear, where's the ketchup? Well, it's in the refrigerator where it belongs. How many of you put your ketchup in the refrigerator? Oh, my goodness. I knew there was a reason God sent me here. Why would you fry a hot hamburger and then get cold ketchup and put on the top of Go to Steak and Shake. When you say to the waitress, uh, can I get some ketchup? Yeah, it's sitting on the table right there. How long has it been there? All day! She don't go get it out of the refrigerator. Come on now. Can I get a witness? Come on. Okay, at McDonald's, I need some ketchup. They just reach under the counter and right there, you know. They don't go to the refrigerator. So I use the ketchup. And you know where I put it? Back in the cupboard. You know why? Because that's where the ketchup belongs. I go to check a couple days later. Guess where it's at? It's back in the refrigerator. And then it went back into the cupboard and back into the refrigerator. And then we got into the great toilet paper war, you know. Why in the world would you hang a roll of toilet paper so that you have to, like, reach underneath like this to try? Why wouldn't you turn it so that you just take two fingers and it's this beautiful cascading waterfall of white delight waiting for you? Right? I'm, why would you do that? Hello? So I switched it and then... You know what? When the next roll came on, it was switched back. And so I switched it again, and it was switched and back. And, and you know what I heard? I heard God's voice saying, you know what? A field came with this treasure. 
a field came with this treasure. <laughs> you know, I was sharing this in a church in Pennsylvania this at a, at a couple's retreat. And uh, the preacher came to me, and well, I, loved, I love it when somebody comes and gives me a nugget, you know, something I can use the next time I preach that. And he said, uh, he said you know, I teach our, our couples the 80-20 rule. And I said, okay, tell me about it. He said, I don't care what relationship in life it is. There's going to be 80%, sometimes 85, sometimes 90. But he said, there's going to be 80% of things that, you know what, you guys are on the same page on and, and everything, and you see it the same way. And there's going to always be the 20%. Of things that just you're going to have to work through and learn to kind of accept and live with. Now, how did that couple, when I walked in Blessed Oak Baptist Church, how did that happen where I have somebody walk up to me and call the two names of, of a couple me and my wife loved? We've seen them saved in our church. They were 10 years in our church. Their kids all went through our Christian school. How in the world did we get here? The same way the devil will get you there. I'm talking about the best marriage in this room, if you're not careful. You know what they started focusing on? That 20%. You know what they forgot? The 80%. And folks, listen to me. You know what? We need to look at our Christian families, our Christian homes, and once again, see them as the treasure that they truly are. Because God looks at a Christian marriage and He sees a treasure. And the devil looks at it as something to destroy. And you know what? If we're going to, if we're going to, listen, where do we get this idea of a perfect marriage? Let me, let me just, come, can we just have a wake-up call for a minute? Where, where did we get this idea of perfect? Okay, God gave us perfect. It was called paradise, the Garden of Eden. He put a man and woman in it. God didn't mess it up. We did. Okay, we had our chance at paradise. We had a chance at perfect. Guess what? Our sin messed it up. So we've got to lose this Pollyannish idea that there's going to be a perfect, any relationship's going to be perfect. It's not. But you know what you do? You focus on the treasure. And if you have to buy the field to get the treasure, it's still worth the treasure. And you know what? There's some things, gentlemen, that you just have to learn to accept. Ladies, you have to learn to accept. Stop spending your life trying to change the other person because the only one that can change them is God. And you know what? Maybe God put that in there. Some of that in there to help you to be the, be the the Christian you need to be and to learn the patience and love. Hey, if God can look down and see Jerry Ross and see a treasure and buy all that came with it, don't you think maybe we can look at each other a little differently? Let's see the treasure of a Christian family. Perfect marriage? Perfect marriage? There's no such thing. That's what happens. The devil brings along somebody else and we think the next one's going to be perfect. It's not going to be perfect. You know, where do we get these ideas? Oh, I know. Hallmark movies. Maybe that's where we get them. Hallmark movies. Well, life's not a two-hour movie. And there's no such thing as perfect. And you know what? Maybe we ought to just hit a reset button and say, thank you, God, for the woman that you gave me. And there's, a, there's treasure there. Let me give you this last thought. We're done. Let's see the treasure of a church home and be willing to buy the field. See your church again as a treasure. You know, people visit Blessed Oak Baptist Church and, you know what, on the surface, we look pretty good, bro. <laughs> we really do. I mean, there's an excitement about our church. Our church is a singing church. If you watch the average person come that visits Blessed Oak Baptist Church, 
when that first hymn starts, when that first hymnal, uh, first song kicks in, I'm going to tell you something. People sing. They sing out. And i got to credit my dad with that. He just decided we'd teach the children to sing, and we'll keep them singing as teenagers, and they'll grow up to be adults. And everybody, everybody just thinks it's the normal and right thing to sing out loud and, and lift up your voice. And, and, and we're a singing church. We're pretty much a happy church. We do a lot of kidding. Maybe we do too much kidding. But you know what? Come on, we're against everything. There's nowhere else to go and have fun. So we've got to have fun when we're in church or we're never going to have it. And my personality's type. You know, I've got some of, you, some of the guys I've been talking to the foyer that's come up and want to give me a hard time about something. Man, thank you. You made me feel at home right away. I mean, there's more nonsense goes on in our foyer. I don't even try to keep track of it anymore. It's just out of control half the time. People come in and they sense all these things. And they'll come for a month or so and visit off and on. And then there'll be that day that they say, Preacher, can we talk to you? And they, they, they want to set that Sunday night to come join the church. And Brother McGovern, I don't know what to do anymore. Sometimes I feel like going down when they come up the aisle and just saying, Okay, listen to me. I know you want to join the church. But let's save us both a lot of time, okay? <laughs> You're not getting a perfect pastor. Okay, I'm going to disappoint you. At some point, I'm going to disappoint you. It's not that I want to or mean to. I'm just... Human. Okay? And, uh, you, you know, this isn't a... I know they look really good. But you know what? See, see that couple over there that you think have the perfect marriage? They don't. They're fighting through some things. And thank God they're fighting through them and sticking together. Okay? See that teenage young lady that you think is just is the epitome of what every Christian... She's a psycho chick, okay? You've got to keep your eye on her. Okay? I mean, I just want to turn them around and explain that everybody in there has their field. You're seeing treasure, but you're going to get to know us. You know, where did we get this idea that a church is a, pl- a gathering place for perfect people so we can come in every Sunday morning and, and just bask in the glow of each other's perfection? That's, that's not what a church is. You know what a church is? A church is a spiritual hospital. It's a place where hurting people come. It's a place where people, come on, we have, all of us have baggage in our past somewhere. Things that we struggle with. Come on, besetting sins. We all have them. You know what? We have to work through this and fight through this. And every one of us is being attacked by the devil and tempted by the world and have to fight the same flesh. I mean, it's what it is. You know what we do? We come together to pray for each other and love each other and help each other and encourage each other. And I could cure all this church hopping thing because everybody's looking you know, for Treasure Baptist Church, you know. Well, there's no such thing. You heard the old evangelists, they used to say, if you find a perfect church, don't join it, you'll mess it up. Well, brother, if I found a perfect church, I shouldn't candidate for it because I'd mess it up. And the honest truth is, we're, we're all, we all come with the field. Look right up here. We all come with the field. It'd be good for some families to realize that. Every once in a while I get a family that comes visit our church, I, I, I right away want to call them the treasure family because... They ain't no field there, brother. They got it all figured out. They don't even realize that some of the most glaring deficiencies spiritually is not what is on the outside, but what is dwells in their heart because of the pride that comes with thinking they've got it all together and they've arrived and their ministry is to be an example to everybody else. Brother, I've had less trouble with the guy that comes in with the cigarettes in the pocket than I have that family. Let me just say it out loud. No, ma'am, you've got a field too, sir. You've got a field. Your family has a field, okay? And you know what we all do. And why are we so ready and so willing and so active 
and pointed out everybody else's field, but for some reason we got a blind spot to the fact that, hey, we haven't arrived either. And by the way, why don't you view that family for what they are, how God views them. In God's eyes, the Bob and Donna Rostas, three months in, barely saved at Blessed Old Baptist, or I'm sorry, at Rock Run Baptist Church was still a treasure. And you know what? I think when Jerry and Purcell and his wife looked across the, the road, they had no idea that three years after my dad got saved, he'd surrendered to preach. They didn't know he'd spent 41 years in the ministry. You know that lady that's back there with a the cigarette hanging out of her mouth, immodestly dressed, became one of the most godly, separated, holy, sweet Christian women, stood by my dad's side for 40 years. He couldn't see that then. He couldn't see it. But he saw what God let him see. Those little four urchins running around there. Oldest sister. Come on, I'm going to hit older sisters again. And then three of us boys. Let me tell you what my oldest sister does. I want to testify because i got some pushback on that. But let me tell you something. My mom wasn't watching one day. And after a rainstorm, my older sister set us down in a mud puddle and began to make mud pies. And convinced us that mud pies would help us to grow up and be strong like Popeye. And all three of us boys were out there in the front yard eating mud pies. To that sister, from that sister who claims to be saved. Amen. So, he didn't know that little girl would learn to play the piano and play piano in church for the last 40 years and teach a Sunday school class and invest her life. You know, my older brother become a successful businessman and, and, and work with junior teens, uh, I'm sorry, juniors, and take juniors to camp. Maybe he just has a heart for juniors. You know, my younger brother would start his own business and probably gave more money to missions than anybody in our church will ever, ever know. You know what he saw? If he wanted to, he could have looked over and said, well, that's just a mess. Well, I'll tell you what, that's the problem with America right there. Look at that mess. But you know what? He allowed God to lift him up and say, hey, you know what? Why don't you see them the way I see them? Why don't you go over and knock on the door? Even when she slams the door in your face, why don't you just brush it off? Wait a couple of weeks and go back one more time. Folks, listen. There's no perfect anything. It's just not. Don't give us an excuse not to try to be the best we can for the Lord Jesus Christ. But all of us at our best still are a mess. But aren't you glad that God could reach down and take a mess and turn it into a miracle? And he did it in my family's life. So you know what? Why don't we get back into the real estate business? Why don't we go buy some fields? You know why? Because there's treasures in those fields. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for meeting with us tonight. Lord, I pray, dear God, that this very simple truth will help us as we maneuver through our Christian lives. It just seems like if we're not careful, the more we grow in the Lord and the more we advance and the more we're taught to hate sin, you hate sin. Lord, help us never to lose a heart for the sinners. Lord, help us to be separated, yes, separated, sanctified. But Lord, help us never to become isolated. And Lord Jesus, we'd have followed you around on this earth. If we're not careful, we may have aligned ourselves with the Pharisees with a critical heart because of the time that you spent and invested in the midst of publicans and sinners. But Jesus, you set the example for each and every one of us not to participate in their sin, but to go and try to have an influence in their life for Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us to be raised up tonight. Get a kingdom of heaven perspective, we pray in Jesus' name.
Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask this real quick. I don't think we have any visitors here tonight. But if you're here right now, say, Pastor, I am not certain what is going to happen to me when I die. I don't know where I'm going. Am I going to heaven? Am I going to hell? I just don't know what happens. Or, Pastor, this thing of my salvation has been bothering me. I'm just not sure. If that's you, say, Pastor, please pray for me. Just put your hand up for me real quick where I can see that. Anybody here like that? I see just some couple of small children is all I'm seeing. Anybody here say, Pastor, please pray for me. All right, Christian. So often it's so easy to get focused on the field, the weeds, those prickers, the trash, and forget about the treasure that is there. Gave you great truth tonight. To see people, to see people from that heavenly perspective, to stay focused on that treasure. The treasure is what made the field worth it. If the Lord spoke to your heart, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Turn to page 507. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.